You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. The preseason is upon us. We have football. The Hall of Fame game was last week. Uh, as we record here Thursday, we've got a couple of games tonight. This weekend is going to be chock full of games. Uh, we're going to look back a little bit later in the show uh, on the Hall of Fame inductions. Josh Allen's big contract, maybe a little hard knocks and some other tidbits here and there. But uh, right now, let's let's go ahead and bring in our guest. Joining us now is a 2019 Division Three National Champion, first team All-American wide receiver Andrew Kaminsky from North Central College Cardinals, number 11 from Naperville, Illinois. Andrew, how you doing? I'm good, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me on here. Last year, you guys didn't play due to COVID, no games, season's canceled. Take us through what type of work you've been doing to kind of stay sharp and continue to improve. I've still been getting my workouts in, so I do all my football-specific training, all the film study. Film study is huge. I'm in, so instead of watching all these new TV shows that come out, everyone watches Outer Banks, all that new stuff, I'm I'm sitting watching film. You can't have enough film study. That's where I get most of my preparation. And then with being local with the, my college, I'm able to still get around with all the guys. We do seven-on-seven twice a week in the summer. And then we uh, do a whole bunch of one-on-one sessions. So being local and being close to campus was a blessing. We were able to still get the team together, us seniors, and uh, get like kind of like captain-led practices going. When's the last time you, you were in a tackling situation? would have been the national championship game in 2019 was the last time I was tackled. I'm excited. My body feels better than it has, so it's technically – I kind of we all got like a redshirt year, so I got to take a year off and just get your body – better than what it was so I'm, I gained about 15 pounds so I, I feel pretty good where are you at right now you you played last season at what 190 what are you right now I'm at a solid 200 204 right now how does the the extra muscle help you uh, uh, during practice when you're doing the drills out there and running routes I just feel more endurance. I feel I just feel that my body could take a lot more than what it used to. I I can go and take hits and get up totally no, like totally fine and not feel anything the next day with like instead of playing at where I used to play 180, 185 where I would take hits and by week 4 or 5 my body's starting to say, "Okay, yeah, you're you're sore. It's time for you to get some more and more recovery in." So we've mentioned the national championship in 2019. You guys were 14 and 1, kind of flew through the season for the most part, 52 points a game. You know, you had all sorts of personal accolades. What was your most memorable part of that season, Andrew? Raising that national championship trophy is something that I'll never forget. But what a lot of people don't realize is what sticks to me and what I think was the real turning part of our season was that 35-21 to 21 loss to Wheaton. It really, really put a, a bad taste and a, a horrible feeling in all of us watching the game film as a team and going through, of seeing all the guys and like how we actually played. And we all realized that that wasn't our brand of football and that we all had to make a change. Otherwise, we're not going to get to where we wanted to. And from that day forward, it was a completely different team, completely different atmosphere. And that stuff that goes unnoticed that nobody from the outside sees. 
Now, I'm going to read this stat line from 2019. So we're going to have to, rather than the team, we're just going to focus on you for this particular question. You had 133 receptions, 2,016 yards, and the one that just blows me away is 31 touchdowns personally. That's not a team stat. That's just yeah. you personally. So for everybody listening, let that sink in a little bit. What were the keys that, that led to such a monster stat line for you? Uh, it was the preparation and uh, the film study I put in. I know my opponent better than they know themselves. I know how they play in a certain three-by-one sets, two-by-two sets, heavy personnel, 11-12 personnel. I know exactly how they're going to play. I want to. I know exactly how they tip off their coverages. But then a lot of it was me having a personal relationship with our quarterback last year. Me and him had a lot of trust in each other. We've been best friends since, I want to say, freshman year of high school. We go, we go back. So just having trust in a quarterback and him trusting me and then the coaches putting me in the right spot. Not be afraid to make the big play when you're out there. You can't be afraid for when the ball's coming your way. You can't be afraid of it. You want to say the ball's mine. And when it's in the air, no one else is taking it from me. Who is the quarterback? I was going to say, that was, that's Brock, right? Yeah, it was Brock. Okay, you got to shout him out. I mean, this is your buddy, too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of <laughs> that's, course. Brock, that's Brock Rudder, correct? Yep. Okay. He's currently in Canada with uh, what team was it? Forgot what team he's with now. He just got picked up again. Who is the new quarterback on the roster? Who's going to be the starting guy for your team this year? It's going to be right now. It's open competition. We're going to we either have a freshman, uh, Luke Lanin, or a transfer from Western Kentucky, Alfonso Howard. Still battle it out with the next two weeks during camp. So just to take you back now, I mean, we're kind of I mean, jumping around a little bit here, but as far as your earliest memories of playing tackle football, going way back. So for me, I started playing football in first grade. I was seven years old, and I remember going uh, to do all the weigh-ins and the sign-up, and one of the coaches or one of the organ, like the organizers of the, of the league said, you're too young, too small, you can't play tackle football just yet and they handed me one of those hockey helmets that they give the flag football kids and I threw the helmet down and said I'm not I'm not wearing a hockey helmet I won't play football if I'm wearing a hockey helmet I should just go play hockey is what I said to him and from that day forward I was putting a football helmet and me and my brother twin brother played together up until our senior year of high school together so that was fun and then once we went to college it got kind of went our separate ways but playing football with my childhood, with, in childhood with my twin brother, that's something that I'll never forget. What's his name? Jeffrey. All right. And does he still play? Or? No, he played his freshman year of college at Elmhurst and then decided to pursue other things and went out to Arizona and got a sports management degree from Arizona State. All right. And I guess, do you remember who drove you there? Who's Who's been like your biggest supporter? My mom, hands down. Hands down, my mom. She's whenever some when I'm slacking, I'm doing something wrong. She doesn't think I'm doing anything the right way. She'll wake me up. She'll she'll pull me out of bed. She'll she'll do whatever she can to get me motivated. She drove me to all the high school camps, every practice. She was at every game, and she's been my number one supporter throughout this whole thing. And then my dad and brother played a huge part. But something about a mama's boy that that uh, pushes me farther. Tell us about your journey, Andrew. How did you wind up at North Central College? And the way I understand it is you initially went to another college your freshman year. 
Yeah, that's correct. So I went to a local high school about 40 minutes, 45 minutes from uh, North Central. So I had known the coaching staff since I was a sophomore in high school. So I had a good relationship with Coach Spencer, Coach Jeff, the whole staff throughout high school. But I was uh, fortunate enough to receive an athletic scholarship and a, a D2 offer to go play at Winona State. So I went up there out of, or out of high school. I didn't play redshirted right away. Didn't didn't find myself fitting in, in the system. I didn't like how certain things were handled. I felt as if a lot of stuff I was said in the recruiting process wasn't necessarily true. I don't like to talk bad about and go into detail about what was said or whatnot. But then first semester came came to an end I transferred home at Christmas enrolled in a small community college about 20 minutes from my house just to, so I wouldn't fall behind in credits and at that time I had already known Brock played his freshman year at North Central so I said I know Brock can't really pass up on this opportunity and North Central's close to home and it wouldn't be hard for my parents to see the game so I just just decided to roll with it. So obviously North Central is a small school. It's a D3 school. Tell us about it. Put it on the map. What makes it a special place for you? North Central, obviously, one, yeah, it's a very, very small school, but it's it's what you make of it. it it's located right in the downtown Naperville area. It, the campus is a block away from downtown. So you, you, you walk out of the stadium, you can turn left, and you can have access to 100 different restaurants, clothing stores, all your shopping, all your whatnot, and then... Being close to Chicago, the train station ten minutes from uh, ten minutes walking from campus, so you can get on a train, go downtown. There's so many different ways to make it what you want it. It's as, it's as big as you want it to be, and it's as small as you want it to be. That's the benefit of it. The surrounding community is awesome. Everyone comes to Saturday games, supports us. The community is really really involved. It's a super super fun atmosphere. Coming to North Central, knowing the quarterback, and I'm sure the coaching staff played a huge role in you coming there. What's been the biggest lesson that you've taken away from the coaching staff up there? Uh, there's two of them, and one of them is just, I wouldn't say it's anything that they taught me, but they showed and they they actually care about their players. They want to, They want us to be better young men before being a better football player. Being around the coaching staff, they've taught me to attack adversity. They told me to chase something that's hard, chase a God-sized dream. When you have something like that and it's like your dream should scare you is what my coaches say. So it's something that you have to work for. You don't want something handed to you. You don't want something to say, here you go, this is yours, and you don't know how to work for it. That's where lack of effort comes in. That's where that's where bad, bad habits come in. So whenever something would go wrong, whenever something does go wrong, because it's going to, no matter what, that's life. You're supposed. My coaches tell me to attack it and embrace it. Because once you get through with it, you'll become a better man. Well, speaking of lessons, Andrew, you mentioned your mom being your biggest supporter earlier. I guess besides the rides and showing up, and I'm sure there are other things that you've taken from her. What what sort of lessons have you been able to take you know, with you through your college career that she may have influenced you on? Uh, she influenced me on just to be myself. You don't have to play a face. You don't. You don't have to lie. You don't have to hide things. Just speak the truth and treat everybody the way you want to be treated. My mom reiterates that to me on a daily basis. It's just go out there, be yourself, and play your game. It's it's about you. Always have been about you. It's a team sport. So go and do what you have to do, and then everyone around is going to follow. Be a leader is what she always told me. What do you think is your biggest strength? What do you think is your best trait as a wide receiver? For me, I would say it's my hands and my route running. 
I'm not the biggest guy. I'm not the fastest guy. But when I run my routes, I use a lot of vision. I don't, I don't have to be the fastest. I don't have to be the strongest. I know how to read coverage. My vision, I think, is what separates me from a lot of other guys is I know where coverage is going before it snaps, as it snaps, and then uh, post-snap. I, I do a lot of film studies, so my vision, well, my instincts is what helps me. What is your go-to move, like a favorite route to run to get that first down? You you know, it's third and seven. You need to get, you know, beyond the sticks and get the first down. What's your go-to route? My go-to route, if, it's, if we're talking third and seven, I'm going to run probably a 10-yard curl. That's a big part of North Central's offense is our spacing concepts. We run a lot of, a lot of curl flat stuff, a lot of finding the space in the middle of the zone. So I would say that's my biggest strong suit, work in the middle of the field, finding those open lanes in between linebackers before the safeties. So you're one of those guys that's not afraid to take a hit over the middle of the field. Oh, not at all. And now, obviously, you're bigger. I mean, you're 200, 204. You know, I think those DBs, they wouldn't want to tackle you over the middle of the field quite as much as, as they did in the previous years. Yeah, exactly. I, that's, I'm excited to see how it goes. I'm a, I've always been a guy that works in the middle of the field, the kind of the possession scrappy guy. So I can't wait to actually play similar size to all these linebackers. It'll be fun for me. I can't wait. I read somewhere where the, the Bears and perhaps even the Vikings had requested a 40 time from you, Andrew. What, what did you think when that came up? What, how did that make you feel? It was actually shocking because, you know, being at such a small school at the time, they had, they had came in time to my 40 before we even had won the national championship. It was before uh, 2019. It was, I was like, well, this is turning into kind of a reality. Like, you got to, okay, so you're, you're on team's radar. It was an awesome feeling that my hard work is paying off, but then again, my brain went straight into, okay, now you have these teams looking, what are you going to do to get better? Like, don't think of what you did in the past. Think of, okay, what can I do today to make this this dream become a reality? What did you, what'd you end up running? The first time I think I ran a 4-6 for them, but it was inside right after season. So I wasn't in the best shape that I could be in. Having that, I guess, that opportunity, how did that kind of, did that lift you at all? Oh, yeah, that have, just having the opportunity alone gave me a whole bunch more confidence that I already had. It just set my game up to, okay, now I, I know I have the skill level, but now I just have to prove it. Now I just have to work it and tweak it and find ways in order to uh, stand out on film because that's where it's going to matter the most right now is me standing out on film. Have you improved your 40 time since then? Uh, I have not ran one since then. Personally, if I were if I were to run right now, yes, I would run way faster than that. What do you think is the most important characteristic uh, for a wideout? A lot of people talk about, you know, route running, changing up speeds, being more quick than fast. We see plenty of guys on, at the combine run, you know, a 4-2, and then it doesn't translate onto the football field. So do you think 40 time is overrated? And what do you think is the most important characteristic for a successful wide receiver? I don't necessarily think the 40 time is overrated. I think it matters. I just don't know how well it correlates to the game, really, because there's not very many times in a game where a player, let alone a receiver, a DB, a running back, runs strictly 40 yards without anybody touching them. I don't think, in a way, I don't think it matters a whole lot, but it definitely does. Speed matters, obviously. Speed is important, but for a receiver, I would say the most important skill, obviously they have to be able to catch the ball, but I think 
they have to be able to uh, adapt on the move and be able to adapt on the fly and how quick does your brain translate with what the defense is doing. I would say awareness for a receiver is probably one of the most important. you got to know what the defense is doing, where they want to shoot their gaps, where they want to set up their zone and how they try to hide it from you. But as a receiver, you're supposed to know all that before the route's running or and if you can and if they roll coverage during a route, then you have to know what they're doing post-snap. So I think awareness and just adaptability for a receiver is most important. We read that you're a big Rams fan. That's her favorite team in oh, yeah. the NFL. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did, did you become a fan of theirs when they were still in St. Louis, when they had Marshall Falk oh, yeah. and Torrey Holt? Oh, yeah. I was, yeah, I was a fan. Yep. I was a, that was, that was uh, early on in my uh, childhood with the greatest show on turf. I was more of a fan. Torrey Holt was one of my favorite receivers growing up. But when I really started remembering Rams football is when they had, like, Mark Bolger, Steven Jackson, all those guys where that's where I was – uh, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. So I started to uh, actually understand the game of football. So right now, the expectations are at an all-time high for the Rams. What do you think of the Matthew oh, yeah. Stafford trade, and will he be able to deliver a Super Bowl? I mean, I love the trade. It's a little risky since uh, you don't know how many uh, years he has left in the league, but for what the Rams are trying to do right now, we needed a quarterback to complement our Super Bowl-ready roster. So, I mean... Within the next two years, as long as we have Stafford signed, I would say it's Super Bowl or bust for them. Can they live up to it? I mean, Sean McVay is putting on the pressure on himself and and Matthew Stafford. Yeah, no doubt. It'll be exciting to watch. As you enter your senior year, is the NFL a dream or a reality at this point, Andrew? The NFL will always always been a dream of mine, but... Now that I have my name, my name is out there. I've ran 40 times for the Bears and the Vikings. I've been in contact with other teams. So right now, I'd like to think it's a reality. But I just like I'm in the present. I'm in a present guy. So I do whatever I can day by day to make sure that that dream can become a reality. Because if you get lackadaisical and you stop working and stop training and stop keeping your body in shape, someone's going to pass you up and take your opportunity. All right, Andrew, so we're a few weeks from the new season. You haven't played in some time. What are your expectations for for this season, team first and then individually? As a team, I don't expect anything less than to win another national championship. We have 16 out of our our 22 returning starters. We got an extra freshman class coming in. We're going to have a roster of about 160 guys. So we're going to have depth. We're going to be healthy. And as a team, I don't see how we don't repeat. And then for myself, it's uh, to keep my my body healthy, to do what I have to do on the field, to give me an opportunity to play at the next level. But most importantly, since it is my senior year, to coach up and make sure all the guys underneath me, the freshmen, sophomores, and juniors that are going to be taking my spot the next four years, are that they're ready and that they can come in and uh, fill my shoes and that North Central can keep going. Because that's what it's about is the future. All right, Andrew, I want to tell you, this is great. I love your attitude, great insights on the game. Why don't you let our listeners know how to find you on the socials? All right, so my Instagram is just Andrew Kaminsky, all lowercase, and then the last name is spelled K-A-M-I-E-N-S-K-I. And then Twitter is just at Andrew Kaminsky, all lowercase. And then all I have on Facebook is just my name as well, Andrew Kaminsky. I keep it pretty simple. I'm not a big social media guy. I try to stay off it. 
All right, man. Have a great season. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Thanks again to wide receiver extraordinaire Andrew Kamensky. Good luck this year, Andrew. All right, Alex. Hall of Fame this weekend. Biggest class ever. Two classes. So many guys went in. Anything come to mind? Did anything stick out to you? We've got to go with Peyton Manning. Hello. I mean, that's probably he, – he gave a great speech, and uh, he's just a guy that you imagine staying around the game. He's got to be involved somehow. I don't know if he's going to be a GM or a president of some franchise, whether he's going to be an analyst or a commentator. I mean, that would be really entertaining because he could be on the Tony Romo or John Gruden type of level. He may be even bigger. He's such a likable character. You know, somebody wrote a column that maybe he would be the next commissioner of the NFL down the line. I mean, that's a possibility. He wouldn't be as hated as, as Roger Goodell. So Peyton Manning, for me, just is a guy that revolutionized the position because we've never seen a quarterback go into the line of scrimmage and just dissect the defense and know what he has to change, you know, audible. Nobody audibled quite as much as he did because the plays usually came from the sideline, but he was like an extra coach. He, he knew more than the offensive coordinator out there. He read coverages. He went through his progressions. He was always able to find the open man. Peyton Manning is just on another level, a legend. And uh, where would you put him, like, in your rankings? Because I would assume... Tom Brady has got to be number one. That's hard to argue with just based on what he has accomplished and all the Super Bowls that he's won. Joe Montana has to be number two just because he's he went four for four in the Super Bowls. Didn't put up the huge numbers that they put up now, but it was a different era. Would you put Peyton Manning at number three? I don't know. That's a good question. I think the cerebral part of the game, I think you got to put him right at the top. Right, He made the most out of his athletic ability, you have to say, because he wasn't the most athletic guy. He's a big dude, a good arm, a re- really good arm, but you know, not a Marino arm, not a Mahomes or Rodgers or Josh Allen type cannon. I would say he's got to be in the top five just because of what he's meant to the game and kind of evolving these more open offenses. I don't know if anybody's ever going to get to his level between, you know, between the ears or as as coach Spagnolo would say chin the hairline. Again, I'm different. I don't maybe it's maybe it's a personal thing. I don't put Brady at the top. I think he's been involved in obviously with seven Super Bowls. You got he's the the best winner the game has seen and he's done the most with what he has. But as far as just, and again, that's what I, I always get a little caught up when people say the best. I mean, is it the most wins? Is it the most big wins? Is it just playoffs? Do we not count the regular season as, as much? You probably wouldn't because, you know, you want to see the guy, the best guys perform on the, on the biggest stage. Montana's always been my guy. And again, like you said, and it, it makes sense, no, they didn't throw the ball nearly as much. But, Jesus, I mean, when the game was on the line, was anybody cooler than him? Was anybody able to get his team together as good as him? 
put him at the top. And again, that's just a personal thing. Maybe Brady second because of those wins. But third, I mean, I like Marino. I mean, I, I guess guys more from my era, let's say. Okay, I'm a little longer in the tooth. Elway, Marino, Kelly, I, I tend to, you know, push those guys up a little bit, I guess. For me, Montana was number one for the longest time, but it's hard to argue based on what Tom Brady has done throughout his career. He didn't have the type of team that San Francisco had when Montana was winning those Super Bowls because that was more of a complete team. The Patriots always had a good defense, but they didn't have those offensive weapons. You know, Brady, a couple of those Super Bowls, he won with almost nobody. To be honest, I'm not saying nobody, but he didn't have, you know, Jerry Rice. He didn't have John Taylor. He didn't have Brett Jones. It's not a knock against Montana because Montana did everything that he could have. He went to the Super Bowl four times and came away with, with the win each time. It's tough to argue with Tom Brady and especially what he did this year. He probably had a more complete team this past year with the Bucks. But the fact is, coming in at 43 years old and winning the Super Bowl, playing with an injury, he took it to another level. He took it to a historic level. And yes, Super Bowls do matter. And that's the reason. Absolutely. I mean, that's, yeah. You know, if you have. If you have a very good playoff record, if you're able to go far to the AFC or NFC championship game or the Super Bowl, obviously it carries a long way. I can't put Dan Marino in the top five. Like, I have great respect for his arm and what he did, and he did more with less pieces. And obviously he went to the Super Bowl one time, but he never won it. And that's and that's it. So uh, ever since when this started, you know, as far as people making lists and saying, you know, this guy, that guy, it's really hard to compare the eras. But no, you you cannot denigrate anything that that Brady has accomplished, and he's got to be in the conversation, of course. But just a, a personal preference, I look at it as, you know, if I'm in the fourth quarter and I need, I'm behind. There's nobody I would rather want, you know, behind the center than Joe Montana. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes is going to be up there. But, again, these are personal things because those are my guys. I would probably make a case for John Elway. That's also my era. The fact is he went to the four Super Bowls and lost. And then in in the latter part of his career with Terrell Davis, he won those two Super Bowls. Right. So, to me, him and Peyton Manning are on par. I do have Peyton Manning at number three, but I can make a case for John Elway being number three because we've never seen an athlete like him. We've never seen a guy with his arm, his arm talent, and what he did. You know, at Denver, he also didn't have the weapons for the longest time, and he still took the team to the Super Bowl in all those fourth-quarter comebacks. I mean, Elway was Yeah, he carried, he carried that team, and, yeah, I mean, I know firsthand, you know, the Chiefs were on the other end of those a lot of those fourth-quarter comebacks, and it just uh, was always a scary moment. And until, you know, Montana came to the Chiefs and that one, you know, the one Monday night game that they always show the highlight reel where Montana brought them back at mile high at the end of the game to win it. And it was just like, wow, is this what this feels like? <laughs> okay, this is pretty cool. And he was and, and he was an older guy then, right? He was. And imagine Peyton Manning could have won a few more Super Bowls if it wasn't for Brady and the Patriots. Because he just he couldn't get over the hump. He couldn't yeah. win the game. And they were in the division. same division for years before realignment. You know, they were in the same division. 
to me, when Peyton Manning went to Denver and he already wasn't the same quarterback, but the fact is, to me, he still put up some gaudy numbers, and then he won the Super Bowl with the Broncos. I think that showed a lot to me, winning the Super Bowl with two different teams and already in in the twilight of his career. I, I have to put Peyton at number three, and then I'll probably go Elway at four, and then... You know, I could I could make a case for a guy like Drew Brees being at number five or Aaron Rodgers before I put Marino. Marino is in the top ten, but there's no way that I can put Marino in the top five because he's never won a Super Bowl. Right. Well, and again, that's you know, if that's going to be one of the qualifiers, he's never going to. I mean, he's like Charles Barkley in basketball. I mean, it's it, it's hard to put him above guys that have taken teams on their backs and and pushed them through championships. Speaking of Brady, he was in uh, attendance at the at Peyton's Hall of Fame speech, and in pure Peyton fashion, he did troll him a little bit. And I'm sure you know you can go on YouTube if if you haven't seen that speech, but but. Basically, he was talking about the length of speeches, and that was one of the big things this year is they were limited to eight minutes. So a lot of the, you know, just thanking every single person and almost telling a story about each person where these speeches have gone on for forever, uh, he made some jokes about the length of it, how uh, Ray Lewis was just finishing his speech from a few years ago, and then uh, talking about Brady when he's eligible in the year 2035, that uh, the speech will just be Tom posting it his on his Instagram account. And the fans, the, you know, as soon as he mentioned Brady, there was a lot of booze, so that, that was pretty fun. But Peyton's speech was, you know, you mentioned him as commissioner. I mean, it was, al- it was almost presidential, right? I mean, it was almost like he was running for something. If there's an ambassador for the game of football, he would be it. That would be the job that he wants. I don't think he would want to be commissioner because there's so many legal things you have to deal with and dealing with the NFLPA and all that and and disciplining players. He just wants to make sure that the game stays alive and well and remains America's game. His theme was just so on point and he brought the history of the game in with the kind of a dream play that he went through with a, a lot of players names and it was just a really great speech that's the the takeaway that I get is if if there is like a true ambassador of the game of football that should be his job maybe politics is in his future maybe he's going to run for senate in Tennessee or Peyton Manning could run for president in like 30 years. Who knows? I mean, you never know, and that would be kind of cool. But I just I want him to stay around the game because, I mean, he has been offered. He's going to. He certainly is. I mean, one way, shape, or form, he made that clear. I just hope because we can learn so much from him. I mean, like him being an analyst, I mean, he could just dissect the game and just explain the game to an average fan. And I don't think we talked about it on on our show, but he and Eli are doing a package of 10 Monday night games where I think whether it will be on ESPN2 or one of the ESPN platforms where you can – listen to them kind of dissect the Monday night game that's going on at that time, which, you know, seems a little weird because they have a Monday night team, but, you know, I would imagine a lot of people that love to hear them, just like you said, you'd rather listen to those two talk about the game rather than, you know, Levy and Greasy and uh, Lewis Riddick, although Riddick is, you know, he's, he's on another level. I'm also glad that Megatron got in. I mean, first time. 
he was able to, to, to get in, and obviously he still harbors a lot of hard feelings towards Detroit, and it was pretty evident in his speech. But, you know, Calvin Johnson is another guy that just revolutionized the wide receiver position, and he wasn't able to play for as long as I think we've all hoped for, but he was an amazing player. And Charles Woodson. I mean, Charles Woodson was one of the best athletes to come out of Michigan when he won that Heisman. He went both ways, wide receiver and cornerback he played. And then he, you know, became an, an all-pro at corner with the Raiders, and then he became an all-pro safety with the Green Bay Packers. So I have a lot of respect for those two men. Well, the takeaway that I have, I mean, from all the speeches, because, again, I, I think maybe because of the limited time, that each person really devoted the theme as to how people can just come together. I mean, obviously relating it to football in some cases, but in some, really just more of this, the, kind of like the social fabric of, of the, this country and, and just talking about how different things, John Lynch with, you know, huddling up. I mean, everybody in the huddle is different, but we listen and we work together and we do things. And he mentioned how the NFL is the biggest metaphor for life. Uh, Jimmy Johnson with his QTL, quality time left. When he mentioned that he never saw any of his kids play in a football game because he was coaching all the time. I mean, that just, that was like a wow moment right there, right? So, and you talking about quality time left and what he does with his time. And, and some of these guys, like Calvin Johnson, I didn't realize the injury was nearly as bad as in his second year as he really described that it was just so painful for him to play but again he was talking about you know people coming together and using different uh, plant medicine I mean everybody just had a, a kind of a different message so it was pretty cool to see the speeches and so that was one takeaway the other takeaway was was some of the hair on the bus and I know some guys nationally have talked about it but it's true you know, you always see you see the busts and you see you know, just regular haircut, whatever. But Polamalu with the long hair, I think they're going to have to put his bust like on a turntable so you can see the back of it because the hair is so long. Edge with the dreads, right? Uh, Drew Pearson with the big fro from back from what he was playing. You know, that was good. Fanica and Hutchinson with the, the long flow. Jimmy Johnson, of course, he's got the perfect part, and that's, you know, obviously the bust looks more like him because that hair's not moving. It was very cool. Charles Woodson singing to his mother, and he said he would not cry, and he couldn't stop crying during the whole speech, that what he said to his kids. I mean, it was it was very impactful. I mean, I, I get a lot of, out of these speeches. I don't, it's just something that I, that I like to watch, and just the emotion of it, it's pretty cool. Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills just got a huge deal, Lou. I mean, it's eight years, $258 million. And you know what? I mean, the one thing that really struck me is that he's going to be like 32 years old when he's going to be eligible for his next deal. So he can sign another one in another seven or eight years for another obscene amount of money. It's amazing. But, you know, the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen finally got it done. The numbers only go up, right? That's the big question. And obviously, they now have him locked up for eight years. This is a six-year extension. The big money doesn't start for a couple of years, so they've got some time 
you know, the TV money will continue to rise, the salary cap will continue to rise, and I think that's what everybody, all the teams that are signing these quarterbacks are banking on because otherwise they're going to have a heck of a time trying to manage the cap. Earlier show, Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield now. Does Baker Mayfield all of a sudden get more money? I mean, because... You know, he signs after Josh Allen. I mean, will the Browns really do that? I don't think so. I mean, they have to, especially if Baker and the Browns go to the, you know, the playoffs once again and make a run. I think this season will determine a lot. Last year, we saw flashes of Baker Mayfield and the Browns went to the playoffs, maybe in spite of him sometimes, but... You know, we'll see what type of player shows up this year. If the Browns go to the playoffs once again and maybe make a run to the AFC Conference Championship game, it would be very difficult to not give Baker a new contract. And you know that all these quarterbacks get huge money. I wouldn't put it past them that Baker is going to get like $200 million. Now, the Browns are really into analytics, right? I mean, that's their whole whole thing with their GM. I don't know. I mean, I look at this and I say, you've got, you know, Mahomes or whatever, 45 million average, Josh Allen now 43 million average, uh, Dak Prescott around 40, and then, you know, whatever, Kirk Cousins, you got some of Aaron Rodgers is up there as well. Other than Kirk Cousins, all those guys, I think, I mean, based on this scale, are worth it. Is Baker Mayfield in that class? Can't they just say, hey, yeah, we want to extend you, but how about $35 million a year? Personally, I mean, I have a ceiling with Baker, but that's my personal feeling. I don't know how the Browns feel about him. If he leads them to the playoffs for the second straight year and he has a good season statistically and he cuts down on those interceptions – it would be really a tough sell to the fan base, to the franchise, to the ownership to say, hey, we have a ceiling, Baker, 30 or $35 million, take it or leave it, or we'll go in a different direction. That would be a really tough sell. If Kirk Cousins can get a huge deal, then you know it's just the type of world that we live in. Baker Mayfield is going to get it. Lou. Even though you and I don't feel that he deserves it, the economics speak for themselves, and I just think that the Browns are, are going to have to fork out the cash. Right, so I guess the, the message is if you're a quarterback, just keep waiting, and the number just keeps driving up. And Lamar Jackson, I mean, he's won an MVP. He did finally, and you know, he did win a playoff game this past year. We'll see how he goes, and I think the teams are probably smart here for waiting a little bit, even though... You know, sometimes, you know, you hear people talk about, well, you know, if you wait, it's going to cost you more money. But, you know, again, I mean, this is an investment. We've seen the, you know, what happened with Wentz. You know, very almost similar situation to Josh Allen as the breakout year, whatever. And, okay, now we're going to pay him a ton of money and it falls apart. And I'm not saying that's going to happen to Josh Allen. I think the infrastructure in Buffalo is much better. And, obviously, the market is much different night and day between Buffalo and Philly. But, you know, now Lamar's the other one. Now how high are you going to go with him? Let's see what happens this season. Is he able to pass the ball? But, again, if you get to the point where, like you said, well, I don't think he is here. The GM's thinking, I don't think he's worth, you know, one of these 40s or $50 million a year contracts. Where do you throw that number? And then what happens to the player? I mean, do you let him hit free agency? 
Guys like that don't hit free agency too often. I mean, you don't see quarterbacks. Baker, good quarterbacks. Baker might, though. I don't know what it is about him. But it just seems like I don't know if the Browns are sold. You just have a personal dislike. Ah, maybe. Not so much I dislike him. I just don't think he's that good. I also feel that, but I just tell that to the Browns. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think that having more success as a franchise over the past couple of years – I mean, I think that would drive it, Lou. I mean, if this is a 3-13 and 13 team, you cut ties with Baker. No question about it. But if you go 11-6 and six and you get into the playoffs and then you win a couple of playoff games, I mean, that's more success than the Browns have had in the past 30 years. So that's a really tough Well, step. that's probably going to happen. So we'll see, you know, what the analytics say because you know that's, you know, that's kind of how they run things over there. Quick uh, point on Hard Knocks that uh, the first episode debuted this past Tuesday. As you may or may not know, the Dallas Cowboys are, are featured. And, oh, lo and behold, looks like the Cowboys have been featured the most on that series. In a lot of cases, coaches probably hate it. Because there are cameras everywhere. There's mics everywhere. And just the one point that I wanted to make, and this is before the shoulder soreness or injury, if you would, to Dak. He's taking all the reps, and you can kind of hear they've got McCarthy mic'd up, and he's like, okay, that's enough. Let's go ahead and rotate him through. And, you know, Dak's not having it. He doesn't, he doesn't want to leave. And then eventually he relents and starts walking up. But as he's walking up, he's throwing F-bombs. He's saying, you know, I sat out enough last year. I need to take these reps. I need to take all the reps. It was a pretty neat thing to see. And just for the, I guess, the competitiveness that he has. You know, you've heard legendary stories about Brady not wanting to give up reps in training camp or practice or whatever. But, you know, you like to see that from Dak. I just hope his shoulders okay. Evidently, they might be doing another MRI, so I don't think they're at the panic point yet, but, you know, if we get to, like, maybe a week or two before the season, he's still not throwing, you know, completely uh, unrestricted. That's got to get scary, and we, I think we talked about their quarterback situation behind Dak last week, and it, 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 it's not good, so... How does Jerry and the Cowboys feel right now? I mean, they must be sweating it out because they gave a huge contract to Dak, and they don't know if he's going to be fully healthy or not. Stay tuned. I mean, this is situation worth monitoring. Today we've got a couple of preseason games. We've got uh, the Pats and Washington, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, we'll see Cam Newton. We'll see Mac Jones. I mean, this is still a battle. I don't care what Bill Belichick says. You know, the quarterback who takes care of the ball and makes good decisions and is accurate with the football, that's the guy who's going to win the starting job in week one. And that might be Matt Jones. He is getting better. In another preseason game, it's the Steelers versus the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Eagles aren't very good. I'm keeping an eye on Pittsburgh because we know Big Ben is the starter, but I want to find out who the backup is going to be. Is it Mason Rudolph or is it Dwayne Haskins? Because, you know, whoever wins that job, that's the guy who stays on the roster. Whoever loses, I can't imagine the Pittsburgh Steelers carrying four quarterbacks, right? Right now they're carrying four guys. They've got Dobbs, they've got Haskins. They've got Mason Rudolph and Big Ben. Maximum, I mean, I would assume they would carry two, maybe three, if Haskins doesn't win the job and they would want to protect him. That's something to keep an eye on during these two preseason games. 
I gotta believe Haskins is gonna get a ton of reps in these preseason games. A ton. They gotta see what they have in him. Can they develop him? I think from the mental side of the game, uh, Mike Tomlin is a great coach for him to have just as a motivator as a disciplinarian as somebody that just is no nonsense and say hey this is how we roll here this is what it means uh to be a stealer and if i could read this quote this was something that troy palomalo said this during his speech and this is direct quote the only approval a stealer should seek is to earn the approval of previous Steeler legends that have donned the black and gold. And if you really have earned their respect, they will say you could have played with us. When Mike Tomlin says the standard is the standard, that's kind of what I think what he's relating to. So, uh, yeah. And the other thing I'm looking forward to is whether Mac Jones has to wear number 50 in a game. Belichick is making him wear number 50 during uh, training camp till he, I guess, earns a, a, a quarterback number. So uh, let's see if he wears number 50 tonight. Adam Schefter actually reported on Twitter that Mac Jones is switching to number 10. That's the number that he's going to... He's going to wear it tonight. It's not going to be. He just really loved Mike Vrabel. That's what my thought was. I'm looking forward to it. I think Mac Jones deserves it. Oh, sure. If he has a couple of good preseason games, I would much rather start Mac Jones instead of Cam Newton. Well, the offense will be much different with Mac than it will with, with Cam, and I'm sure that's what the Patriots coaching staff is hoping for, right? I would assume that. I mean, McDaniel and Bill Belichick, I mean, they had Tom Brady for so long. I'm, I'm sure they would want to get somebody like Mac Jones. And Cam Newton doesn't have that dual threat ability anymore. He's not that effective as he used to be. In terms of, you know, having a quarterback that knows how to read the field and being accurate, this is what Mac Jones excels in. This is what he did at Alabama. And I would assume that he is going to win that starting job. All right, enjoy the games this weekend, folks. I know it's preseason, but it is tackle football, and a a lot of jobs are on the line. Shout out to all the Hall of Famers that went in this week. Much deserved. Thanks to my co-host, Alex Kaptoff. And as Edge said in his speech, gold teeth to gold jacket, baby. Peace!